Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Let's go ahead and look at the Word of God again. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, whether you grew up in the church or not, there's a pretty good chance you've heard of Psalm 23. Raise your hand if this is the first time in your whole life you've ever heard that psalm read. Anyone? So if, even if you go to funerals, very often Psalm 23 is the passage that's read. And why is that? Because it is one of the, the pieces of Scripture that I think most powerfully and poignantly communicates to us what God brings in terms of peace and comfort and confidence when He touches a person's life. Now you guys know that the very best poetry, the best fiction, the best um, songs and music are written not when somebody sits down at a table and decides to write something, but when it overflows out of the reality of their lives. In other words, I think the best writing, the best creative work is a response to something that's powerfully raging in a person's heart. It is not the product of imagination, but it is the product of real life circumstances. And so when we read something like Psalm 23, it is very, very important that we understand who wrote it and what was going on in their life to produce words like this. Now you need to know that the person who wrote it, it's very clearly identified in Scripture, it's a Psalm of David. King David wrote this Psalm and most likely what was going on in his life at the time was that he was fleeing from his son Absalom. And let me tell you a little bit about that story uh, just, uh, there's such a richness to that story, but I'll just give you the highlights so you understand what's going on. Absalom was David's third son, and I don't know why this is written, but it's very carefully recorded in Scripture that Absalom was the most handsome man Israel had ever seen. I mean, he's the kind of man, even guys are seeing go, man, that's a beautiful man right there. He was the third son and therefore the third in line for the throne, but, and maybe this is just the result of being beautiful or something, but his ambition was the ambition of the firstborn son. He couldn't picture himself waiting in line for his siblings to die to take the throne. He couldn't picture anything. He, he just, all he could think about was, I should be king. And every time he looked in the mirror, his reflection agreed with him. Boy, you should be king. And so what he began to do was he began walking around in the streets, grumbling, casting doubt about his father's administration. He was saying things like, wow, that would never happen if I were king. You know, one of those, if I were king, dot, dot, dot kinds of things. And it was a small, subtle campaign, and it became not so subtle, that Absalom wanted to have the throne. So he began living in the former capital city of Hebron, and he he started walking openly in the streets, raising up a following. When he thought that he had enough popular support, he decided to declare himself king lead a revolt against his father's throne, and he said, hey, guess who's the new king of Israel? It's me! And everybody loves a beautiful man. And so they all cheered and said, yes, David is old and crusty, and he's yesterday's news. Absalom is the new king. And in the city of Hebron, everybody cheered, and Absalom really believed that his moment of glory had come. In fact, the the coup was so complete that David only had a small handful handful of loyal followers, and with these handful of people, he fled into the wilderness west of the Jordan River. And that's where he was, cowering far away from the comforts of the royal court, hiding out 
from his own son, and the reason he was hiding was because Absalom, though he did care for his father, knew that unless he put his father to death, he would never secure his place on the throne. That's a story that has repeated itself all through history, wherever there are monarchies, is that when one person takes the other's throne, you must kill them in order to make sure they, they, they don't rise up again. And so there he was, hiding like a fugitive from his own boy. Everything felt like it was lost. He felt like his life had taken a very, very wrong turn somewhere, and he was right back at the beginning, square one, where he never should have ended up again. And he couldn't figure out what was going on or what was going to become of him in the future. It is out of that wilderness flight, that that period of confusion and disappointment and betrayal, that David writes this particular psalm. And it's really important to know that because the backdrop of his life lends such a sense of meaning and significance to the words that are so familiar to us. You know, in a way, David's life had taken him full circle, hadn't it? Because there he was back in the fields staring at flocks of sheep and shepherds doing their work far away from the luxury and the fanfare of of the courts of the royal palace. Simple life, simple food, no schedule, no real bodyguards, no no, uh, visitors of state, heads of state coming. All it was was a simple life out of which he had arisen. And I think it was also that which prompted him to think about God and think about his own personal history through the lens of the shepherd. Because if you remember, that's how David started out his life. A simple shepherd boy who had become king. And now there he was among the sheep again, wondering how it would come to this. You know, sometimes I really think that God knocks our lives off the rails brings us back to square one, in a way totally deconstructs our lives because what he really wants us to see, even if it's temporary, is he wants to remind us where we came from because along the way, sometimes we forget where we'd come from and who we really are. And, and when we continue to rise and our star is, is rising, we don't always see that. It's often only when we're brought to our knees where everything we counted on falls apart, is snatched away from us, that we remember what life's all about and who we really are and what is valuable to us. Because he's back among the sheep, David thinks about his history as a shepherd, and now when he looks at God, that's what he thinks of. In the same way that I once used to tend those flocks, God has always been tending me. In the same way that I cared for my sheep, I've been the sheep of God all along. And so he says very clearly, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I'm sure you already know this, but I could talk for an hour about that one verse. There is so much in that one verse. Let me just quickly run you through something that's very important from here. First, it's that he says, the Lord. And any time in your Bibles you guys see that where the Lord is all in capital letters, that's an indication that what we're talking about is the personal name of God, Yahweh. And we only pronounce it that way as guess. We don't even know what the vowels are because it wasn't recorded. It's the holy name of God, but as holy as it is, it's also important to remember that it is God's personal name. It's like His first name. And it's used at times in Scripture when the writer of Scripture or the person in the story wants to express that this is not God who is far away and holy beyond our reach, but this is God who is close. 
It's like a first name, if you want to put it that way, the way we use first names in our culture. And, you know, it's like the difference between somebody saying, oh, that's Pastor Dave, he's our pastor. That makes me feel really kind of far away, versus when somebody goes, oh, this is Dave, he's my pastor. That's a completely different sentence, relationally speaking. And there's something powerful in American culture when we call someone by their first name. I am still trying to get our two newest elders to call me Dave instead of Pastor Dave. We're making progress. I'm looking forward to that day. I remember when Pastor Matt was first hired and he had been used to calling me Pastor Dave. And the first time he just called me Dave, I think we both kind of looked at each other and said, we have uh, crossed the line here. I liked it. And it was uncomfortable at the same time. I'm like, I'm going to have to get used to that. And then it got, I got used to it. And now if you were to call me Pastor Dave, I would assume he's mad at me. Right? And that's just the way a personal name works. He is saying now in the simplicity of the wilderness among these sheep that this is not God who's far away. This is my God, the first name God. This is Yahweh to me. And what he says of Yahweh is, he is my shepherd. That singular pronoun is extremely important because it is the habit of the Israelites to refer to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They speak of God as though He is our God, the God of Israel. Very distant terms that, that kind of indicate the reverence and the apartness of God. But in this case, he breaks ranks and he says, this is not just the God of my nation, the God of my forefathers. This here is my God. And it's important that he had to be knocked off his throne because sometimes when that's all you have left, you realize that's the best thing you've ever had. You have always had your God, but the truth is most of us are not that content with that. Our lives are loaded up with so many other things that make us feel rich that when it's removed and all I've got left is the power of prayer and a hope and a smoke signal, God, you really better be there. Are you really with me? That's when we powerfully realize that's when we powerfully realize that our greatest blessing and our greatest wealth has always been that we could also say with David, the Lord has always been my shepherd. My shepherd. A lot of times when God is trying to, uh, when, when God is allowing your life to be knocked completely for a loop, when the unthinkable happens, when you lose your job or you lose that relationship, when you're so close to something you long for and it's taken away from you, the reason God is allowing it is because He's trying to break through to us and bring us back to a time when life was simpler and we knew who He really was. There's just something, I, I can't really explain it, but there's something about success and comfort and wealth that blinds the human heart. You guys know all these reality shows like ABDC and uh, American Idol? ABDC, for those of you who aren't as cool as me, is America's Best Dance Crew. A very fun show. And I don't know if you guys knew the guy who was kicked out of the first season because he had some visa issues, Hawk, the guy with the crazy hair, the Asian dude with the British accent. And he, I just saw him in this last season, in the, the pre precursor to the season. He's a judge. The guy who is an outlier, a contestant, almost had been, now he's one of the judges because his crew won one year. And what I, I realized is when you're young and hungry and you don't have anything yet but up, there's a humility, a hunger that drives you. You know who you are. You know what you're worth. You know where your hopes and your confidence comes from. But something happens to a person after they achieve, after they arrive. 
It's so easy. I'm not suggesting that Hawk has gotten arrogant. In fact, I think he's actually still pretty humble. But there's something about when you start regarding somebody as a, a, a person who has arrived rather than a person on their way. You see a difference in their eyes. What I always notice is when somebody has really been knocked off their horse, though it's hard to be around them and with them because you feel the sadness and loss, there's something very attractive about talking to a person in that state of mind. And the reason for that, especially as a pastor, when they seek me out and I sit across the lunch table and we're beginning to talk, there's a softness in their eyes, a very undeniable realization that I'm not in control of my destiny anymore. I thought that I could control things. I thought that my life was very smooth and coasting in a certain direction and suddenly I don't know which way is up and I'm humbled by that. I'm a little scared. I don't feel like the man in charge right now. And while I lament what they lost, there is something very beautiful and very pure about what I see in that person's eyes when the Lord has allowed their life to be broken. I wonder if we would all of us feel exactly the same way if our riches were taken from us, our ability to earn a living, if you're a surgeon and you go blind, it's bad news, isn't it? If you're an athlete and you become crippled, that's bad news, isn't it? And I wonder how it would strike us if the very things which make us feel okay were snatched away. In that state of mind, there are some questions I want to run through that every one of us asks. And it's this idea that the Lord is my shepherd, which gives a very calming, comforting answer to these questions. And I, I, I don't want you to be counting the minutes or counting the questions. Just be thinking about how honest these questions really are, because you've been there. If you haven't, I promise you, you will be there again. One of the most pressing questions is, will I have all that I need? Isn't that an important question? When life punches you in the face and you're bleeding and you don't know where your next paycheck is going to really come from. And you wonder, am I going to have everything that I need? Are all of my, my needs going to be met? Listen to what David had to say about that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now make sure you read that, that sentence properly. It's not like, he's my shepherd, but I don't want him. Okay, that's not the spirit of it. We... We use the word want in modern English to be the same meaning as desire. I want a piece of candy. I want to go see Avatar on IMAX. I want. We speak of it as though it's the same word as desire, but really, the way it's properly used, it's, it's a synonym for lack. I want, meaning I desire it because I lack it. I don't have it, right? I don't want a wife named Jeannie in that I lack it because I have one, right? We want that which we have yet to take possession of. And what it says here is, because the Lord is my shepherd, I will never lack what I need. I just won't. Have you ever been so close to what you thought would make you complete, make your heart happy? Have you ever been engaged and then that engagement ring was removed from you? Have you ever had been so close to the crowning moment of your career and then your legs got chopped off from beneath you? Have you ever been so close to what you most wanted 
And then just like that, your fortunes changed overnight, and that which you most wanted was snatched away. How did you feel when that thing which you want is something you no longer have? When, when that kind of thing happens, something happens inside a person's heart. Fear takes over, doubt takes over, and you start to wonder, am I ever really going to have what I need? Here's what David says, because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. In fact, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, in the ancient Near East, the, the seasons were kind of flipped from what we experience here today. So it was in the, the summer months that everybody struggled. All that was out there was these barren fields with a few patches of weeds, and a shepherd would wander from place to place trying to graze his flocks, and it was slim pickings. If your sheep made it through the summer, you were set. You were in the clear. But a lot of sheep died because there just wasn't enough food. But then winter would come, and this is the scene all over the ancient Near East. The same brown, dead, dry fields will become green with, and lush with grass again, and you wouldn't have to move anywhere. You could settle in a place, pitch your tents, and there would be enough grass in those pastures for the sheep to stay there for a very long time. No more wandering. No more spinning in circles wondering where to go next, not sure if you're going to survive the next day. There was plenty of what you needed all around. And what David is saying is wherever we allow God to lead us, it seems to be that what we most need will be found in abundance. He also says that he will lead me beside still waters. That's a very, very beautiful picture. Still, not stagnant, but still meaning it's not receding, it's not drying up, it's there. And it's a wonderful find in the ancient Near East when a shepherd would turn a corner around a hill and he would find a pool of water, either a pond or a stream, where there would be so much water flowing that his flocks could settle there. And do you get the picture again? It's one of no longer wandering in dissatisfaction and need, but you can settle in this place because what you most need will be found in plentiful supply right where you are. This is the place to which our God leads us because He's our shepherd. And we most need to hear this when the thing we most wanted is snatched away. When you're in the wilderness running for your life from your own son and you think, I used to be king of this place and now what am I? It's in that kind of situation you most need to hear that God will always lead you to places where what you most need is in plentiful supply. What I find interesting, though, is that quite often God doesn't meet that need simply by giving us more of what we say we want. But in that place of the valley, the dryness, where we don't have what we thought we wanted, where our lives are broken down to their elements, it's in that place that God very often redefines what we truly need in the first place. This is not some mean trick where, where God goes, I'll give you everything you need, but... I'll only give you two things because that's all you need. It's not like God's robbing from us. He's expanding our hearts and our minds. He's clarifying things. What did you need when you were a little kid? What did you need? You weren't aware that you needed anything because what you really needed was shoved in your pie hole all the time by your mom. Eat this, eat this, go to bed. So what you really needed was just provided for you. All you needed was daylight so you could play. That's all you needed. Do you remember how simple life was when it was Saturday? Not, not for kids today. Kids today, they all need um, iPhones and calendar applications, and that's a crazy life today. Remember 
when we were kids, sorry, youth group members who are in here, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the old people. When it was Saturday, the only question you cared about is, what do you want to do today? Life was simple. And I think sometimes we need all the accoutrements of life to be stripped away to remember that we can be very, very satisfied with far less than what we thought we really needed. You know, I I stumbled upon a blog that a, a, a good friend of mine was looking at. It's a blog called Simple Organized Life. I happened to just spy it out of the corner of my eye when he was looking at it, but the, the title in bright red letters, those three words really are three of my favorite words. They speak to me. And so I made it a point to go home and look it up, and I began reading about this guy's story. Fascinating. He used to live the rat race in Los Angeles, a wealthy corporate executive. He had lots of money, and one day he woke up and realized, I don't need all this junk. I'm not that happy. I'm always feeling busy, but I never have time to enjoy any of what I own. And so he just checked out. He went off the grid. He moved with his wife to northern New Mexico, bought a little country house, and, and well, he actually rents it, and the renter is a fraction of what he paid for a much smaller place in Los Angeles. He lives a simple life. He's stripping away everything which is unnecessary. This is a picture of his bedroom. It moves me. It makes me feel strong feelings. Look at it. So clutter-free. So simple. You know what I have in my bedroom? I have a bed, two side tables, and a dresser. Because really, that's all I really need in a bedroom. He doesn't even have wall hangings, which is a little weird, but something about the simplicity that reminds me that sometimes when God takes it all away, it is a gift and not a punishment. It is a way God has of saying, remember that you don't need all the stuff you really thought you needed. You don't need 800 DVDs of movies you've already watched that you'll never watch again just so you have something to alphabetize every weekend. You don't need all the stuff that you thought you needed, but when you have nothing left, I will remind you what the human heart really needs. And those things, in my presence, you will always find in abundant supply. When you let me be your shepherd and you become my sheep, you will never lack any of what you truly need in this life. And so at the end of it, he says, he restores my soul. He reboots the system. He he regains my sanity and my clarity for me because I had lost my mind when I was on the fast track. And it's in this place, far from the life I was living, that I realized my soul is finding home again. It's being restored, made whole. Here's the second question we ask when we're in the valley. Will I find my way? Will I find my way back? a little radar screen and you're looking for the blip that tells you which way you need to go where you need to aim yourself and when you read this passage what do you notice about it i've given you a hint i've made the important words in red but don't you see that what we're meant to understand about a shepherd is that he does all the leading sheep don't go hey buddy catch up We're going over here to eat. Sheep aren't that smart. They don't know where the grass is. They just keep walking around. And then the shepherd goes, dummies, over there is the good stuff. And they spit out the weeds and they eat good grass. This is the way it works. That sheep are led and shepherds lead. 
This is the way it was always meant to work. I know as looking at this, that it is not our responsibility to get peace in our lives. The truth is, sometimes that's the way we give advice to each other. We make it seem like it's my responsibility, my burden to feel more peaceful. So people, people tell us things like, hey, you should sleep more. You should try to calm down a little. Don't panic. Try to think happy thoughts. Breathe. And, and sometimes the implication is you'll never have peace unless you get it for yourself. Wander about, try this or that, try different exercises until you restore the sanity and the calm to your spirit. And you know that that doesn't work. Instinctively, you think it might, so your first impulse is to pick up the phone and call your friend and say, let's meet at the Cathedral of St. Arbuck's and let's you and me have a session together. I'll confess to you and you confess to me, I need peace. But you know what I'm talking about. You talk to that friend or that pastor, and once in a while they say something that has the ring of brilliance, and you go, oh, that's kind of pretty good. That's, that's, here's the word I always hear. That's helpful. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm not feeling it, though. You're, we're not connecting. I'm trying to help you, but I know that we're in a territory where I can't help you because I'm powerless to do it. And you leave that meeting with the exact same conviction. Eh, that was all right, but I still feel weird. I don't feel at peace. I've told the whole story to a hundred people. They said a lot of things. There's a pattern there. But I still don't feel what I'm supposed to feel inside. Why is that? Because what God is trying to teach us is other sheep cannot lead you where only the shepherd can. You want to find your way, but you're not going to find it asking a hundred friends if you haven't asked the shepherd because the next sheep over is about as lost as you are without Him. Once in a while, we'll say things that will bless each other, challenge each other. Don't become a hermit and check out a society. That's not the point. But it's to know where the peace really will come from. It comes from the shepherd who knows what's around the next corner, even when you don't. If you think about David's life story, it's an incredible story of rags to riches. It's a story that David, in his wildest imagination, could not possibly have written for himself. If you think for a moment that David's life or your life or my life are the product of good planning and strategic thinking, you're smoking something. None of us have ended up completely where we designed ourselves to land. If you have, you're on the borderline of being crazy. Okay? Trust me. You're, you're on the brink of an awakening moment when you realize how horrible your life really is. I promise you this. David's life should never have turned out the way it did. He couldn't have planned it. He was the eighth son in his family. And yet when the, the prophet comes by saying, we, we're looking for a king of Israel to anoint one of your sons, he's the last in line. In fact, he's not even around. He's out tending the sheep because his dad goes, I got seven boys and some, some little runt out watching the sheep. We won't even call him because if you go through all seven of my big, big boys and you don't find the next king, it's game over, buddy. So one by one, his brothers are marched before the prophet. One by one, his brothers are rejected. And then the prophet goes, don't you have one more kid? Now, how do you plan something like that? David's out there picking his teeth, throwing pebbles at sheep, and, and the messenger from his dad's house goes, hey, come, the prophet's looking for you. And the guy looks at David and goes, you're the next king, I'm anointing you. 
And from there, he gets embroiled in, you know, he goes to deliver cheese and milk and bread to his brothers who are on the battlefield. They're all laughing at him as the delivery boy. He's the one who defeats Goliath, and from there, his life just takes off on this upward trajectory. If you watch that mini-series on NBC called Kings for a little while, it was a modern-day adaptation of the story of David and Goliath and, and ancient Israel. And it really spoke well to this meteoric rise of this nobody to become the very greatest man in the realm. You can't plan that. David walked through doors which God divinely opened. There's, he was as surprised by his life as anybody. You know how many people I meet from my old life? People that we, we were laying on the carpet looking at each other, too drunk to stand up, going, your life is just, you're a loser, man. I know, I'm a loser too. And I, people I look like, and they see me years later, and they go, you're a what? I say, yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a pastor. And they go, you're a what? Do you realize that I couldn't have planned my life either? And neither could you. The truth is, that you have been led all along. Planning, control, destiny, all of these things are illusions. The truth is that God has been leading you all along. And there are times when you stopped following the lead and your life took a turn, but for a, not even for a moment should we begin to think that we have planned all of this. And that's why what God is trying to show David is, don't you ever forget... Now that you have the bodyguards and the walls of the palace and treasure rooms full of gold, don't for a minute think that you made yourself king. I have been leading you and I am still willing and planning to lead you yet. I can still write another chapter to your life after this dark valley, which you never dreamt was possible. A recovery beyond what you thought could be imagined. I have been leading you all this time and I'm still going to lead you. And some of you this morning sitting here very much need to hear those words, don't you? Because you're not sure if you have a future, or at least if it's a future that is, that is palatable to you. He says those who will follow God's lead, He will lead them in paths of righteousness. Now you've got to read that word very carefully, because the word righteousness means what we think it means, but it also has a second meaning, which seems to be more in view here. And that is that when God leads us, He not only leads us to do the right thing, but there's another uh, meaning of this word right. It means straight, direct, without distraction or diversion. And what God is saying, what David is saying of God, is those who follow God, they are freed from the convoluted, or what the Bible says in other parts, is the crooked path of the wicked. Figuring out life by trial and error. Sniffing everything that seems good to us. Have you ever tried to walk your dog in a field where other dogs have walked? It's the most annoying thing. I'm always yelling at my dog, just pee and let's go in. I'm freezing out there. What do dogs do? I, I, don't, don't ask me why, but dogs love the smell of other dogs' waste products. And they're just walking all over. Every scent just blows them away. They've got to smell it. And as a result, what should take two seconds takes 30 minutes because dogs have no focus. Their path, left to their own devices without a leash, is a very crooked path. <laughs> and that's what our lives feel like sometimes, don't they? 
Maybe what I really wanted was a home theater. <laughs> and then you get it, and you never have time to watch anything. You're like, no, that's not it. Maybe we need a vacation home. <laughs> and you're all over the place, thinking the next thing, the next interesting scent will make you feel alive. And it never does, does it? It never does. It always leaves you feeling like, man, I'm getting poorer by the minute, and I don't feel any better. And what God says is, man, if you follow my lead, I will make your path straight. We'll cut through all the BS. Right to the heart of the matter. No more wasted years. No more squandered dollars trying to find home. I will lead you there if you'll go where I tell you. Because where the shepherd leads, it leads to home. And the sheep separated from its shepherd and its flock is very much a dead sheep. It'll be moments before eventually it will meet its fate. God promises that for those who follow the shepherd's lead, he will lead them on the straightest possible path to their appointed destiny. The writer of Proverbs, David's own son, says here, in all your ways, acknowledge God. And what will be the result? He will make your paths straight. I think he learned that from his dad. Some of us need to hear this this morning because you're wondering if you'll ever find your way home, but you're trying like my dog to find it by sniffing away at everything that seems interesting and fulfilling, and you're not finding it, are you? And God says, follow me. I'll take you home. Let me just give you the last question we ask. Will I be okay? Who knows what that is? Say it out loud. What is it? The Pope Mobile. Back in 1981, when a Turkish sniper who claims to be the Christ Eternal, by the way, he was just released from prison, um, took a shot and... And, and shot, hit, and wounded Pope John Paul II, what the Vatican did in response was they took the Pope Mobile and they put four sheets of heavy-duty bulletproof glass and armor plating all around that vehicle. And the irony of this was lost on no one. Comedians to this day are making fun of the fact that the leader, the man of faith, hides behind bulletproof glass telling everyone else to trust in God. That's just like when they make fun of David Koresh saying he was Jesus, but he still needed glasses. He's like, um, fix your vision first and we'll follow you to the death. Do you see the irony of being a person of faith but having to put up bulletproof glass? There's something about that, isn't there? But the thing is, when life hits us hard, when you get punched in the face, you get a little dodgy, just like when you're the youngest of four sons in a family. Everybody who raises their hand to scratch their head, you're like, huh, you're a little flinchy because you're so used to getting hit. You're like always looking for fists flying towards you. Pain makes cowards of all of us, doesn't it? It makes us skittish. And what we do often when we've been hit really hard and find ourselves on the floor is we resolve never to be punched out like that again. And our human response is, I'm going to start putting up bulletproof glass in my life. There's no way that they're going to lay me off again. There's no way I'm going to get dumped and my heart broken again. I'll show them I will never let anyone in. 
I will never trust anyone. I will always have a plan B. I will put money away in the bank and you can do whatever you want to me. I'll find stuff on you, buddy. I'll get some dirt on you. And next time you talk about layoffs, I'll be like, <clears throat> check in the top drawer of your desk. There's an envelope with some photographs you may not want to be released to the public. That's the kind of games we play. Because when you're scared enough, when you're hurt enough, what you promise yourself as a human being is, I will never let life do this to me again. And you begin setting in motion a plan to protect yourself from all possible future pain. But the folly of doing that is that it's impossible. You cannot shield yourself. You, he doesn't live in the Mobile. There's a moment in which he's going into the Mobile and he's stepping out. If I'm a sniper, that's when I'm going to shoot him. You cannot secure your whole life. You try, but you're powerless. That vehicle is nothing more than a symbol. You want to kill that man? You can do it. I promise you, you can kill anyone on this planet that you really want to. That's something we need to awaken to. That everything we do out of our pain to make sure we're never hurt again is only an illusion of safety because you can't shield yourself from everything. And in response to this, knowing that he's still in the heart of danger, David says of God, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's important. The rod was a club, like a giant baseball bat, but shorter, that, that the shepherd hung on his belt. It was the weapon he used to beat things away that were going to hurt the sheep. So this was an offensive weapon. But he also had a staff. It's, I, I have one in my office. I just forgot to bring it with me. It's a long, you know, like a little old peeps, shepherd's hook. Okay. And you would use it to guide and prod and, and direct the sheep. It was a guiding tool. And God, using both of those implements, watches over us and makes sure we're okay. He will not allow things to destroy you, even though He may permit harm to come upon you at some level. He will never let you be totally destroyed. The truth is that those who are in Christ, even if someone takes your earthly life, you are not undone. God will always protect you from the things that will destroy you. And what's more important is that shepherd's hook, the staff, is also important. It's another source of comfort because sometimes the greatest work that has to go on is not changing the world around you, but doing a work inside of you when you're out there in the valley. I think David as a human being changed a great deal when he became king. I love spending time mentoring young pastors, interns, people like that, because there's still a humility there. When you've been walking for 15 years as the head pastor of a church, you forgot what it's like not to be able to make decisions, to wonder what your future ministry is going to look like. When you're at the top of anything, you lose that. And it's really important to have a work done inside of you on a regular basis. And if you find yourself right now in that valley where David was, and, and life has just knocked the wind out of you, pay very close attention to what God is doing inside of you. This is a time in your life when you want to do less talking and a lot more listening because there's a very good chance that God is trying to do something really important in your life right now. If you've lost your job, you've lost a relationship, do not run out and try to find the next person who will accept your date, your proposal. 
If you're lonely, don't fill it with just another mate. Listen to what God is saying to you. If you've lost a job, don't just run out and try to find another job too quickly. I know you need to eat. But pay attention to what God is doing inside of you because these are moments you may not get back. And if you miss the important work He's doing, you might get back everything you lost, but you'll actually be poorer than when you started. And he says there that even in the presence of my enemies, you speak a blessing on me. You know, we sometimes have this, this policy that if you hurt me once, I will never look at you again. Like that one guy on uh, Shark Tank, he just goes, you're dead to me. You walk out of this room, you're dead to me. I don't even remember your name. We no longer exist to each other. And that's the policy some of us have because we're afraid of getting hurt again. And so we say, I can't face the people who hurt me. I can't ever see my ex. Oh, Lord, they're at this party too. They're across the room and you, can't, you kind of have to... God doesn't operate that way. He heals you. He does a work in you so that even in the face of those who cause you the gravest pain, even in the face of your enemies, a table is set before you. And He blesses you. And He allows you to stare down your enemies, not with vengeance, but with security. Some of us really need to hear that because there are people who have hurt us and we can't even make eye contact with them. We see them walking down the church hallway and we cross to the other side and act like we're looking at our phones. That kind of insecurity and weakness does not come from the Father. It comes from the flesh. And where God is leading us, He makes us whole again. He rebuilds broken people so that they could even dine in the presence of their former enemies. At the end of all of this, David confesses in the last verse, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is essentially homeless, and he finds home. And what he discovers is that home is not a place or a situation Home is a person. Home is a presence. And I know you've heard that before in the church. But I think some of us, our souls really need to hear it. Home is not the next landmark in your career. Home is God. Home is where your father is. And the great promise throughout this whole psalm is that our needs will be met we will find our way and we will be okay because the shepherd always stays with his sheep. All throughout the Old Testament, whenever God says the words, do not be afraid, they are always coupled with the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is why God permits pain in our lives. To remind us that the one constant, despite all the ups and downs, is that He will never, ever, ever leave us. Will your faith and your heart survive the death of a child? I've thought about that. Can I recover if one of my children dies? If my wife leaves me, if I fall to some stupid scandal and we lose our church, will I recover? 
Will I ever find my way home? I don't know. If at all on my own, I don't know. But I take great comfort from this psalm because David had walked through that valley and he found his way home. And the end of the story is he regrouped out there in the wilderness. He raised an army. He reclaimed his throne. His son Absalom sadly lost his life. But more important than the regaining of his earthly station was that back out among the sheep, in the place where he got the start in the first place, David found home again and reconnected to God. And I really hope that when God brings us to the valleys, the most important product of that time of suffering will be that each of us will find God again. Before all the stuff gets poured back in, we'll find home. I'd like to invite you to just bow with me. Let's pray. If I were preaching to a church the size of Willow Creek, I would have very little idea who's hearing these words. But I preach to a church where I know many of your stories. And I know that for some of you right now, Psalm 23 really needs to be heard. God is saying something to you because He loves you. And sometimes what we need from God are not more commands, more things we have to do, but sometimes what we really just need to hear is, Daddy's got you covered. Just relax. I know you're scared. I know that you wonder what tomorrow holds, but your shepherd has it well in hand. And you don't have to make your own peace. He will lead you to it. Don't know where your next meal is coming from? He'll feed you. Stop worrying and hear his words. He will lead you to green pastures and he will lead you to lie beside still waters. He will restore your soul. Let's just bow our heads and let's take a few minutes then in the quiet of our own hearts to pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.